Film Files, what's happening? It is Tuesday, 9 o'clock p.m. You're listening to 90.7 WAZU. And this is about the time that we start our show, so we're going to go ahead and do that. We have a guest in the studio. You'll meet here in a second. And tonight's film, cuddle up to your loved one for this one. If you don't have a loved one, any alcoholic father figure will do. Because we watched Blue Valentine from 2010. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Ben Snowden. And I'm Anna Holguin. And this is Movie Show Theater. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around and pull it down. What's your favorite scary movie? Have you ever seen a grown man naked? Okay. Now, blobby, bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! You warthog-faced... Half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! This is... Theater. Isn't it nice when you can pronounce your own name and no one botches it? Yeah, it's not Anna <laughs> Holquin. I like Holguin. to think that if we all pronounced each other's names, we would still get yours right. I would hope so. Yeah, I would hope so too. So we chose a movie that's a little off the beaten path. Anna brought up the point a couple days ago that uh, it'd be nice to work on our uh, genre palette. Maybe do films that aren't always in our wheelhouse. Although, Ben, you chose Tommy, didn't you? Did yeah, you? I chose Tommy. Yeah. But anyway, so Anna chose this movie. And Anna, why exactly did you choose Blue Valentine? Well, I had seen it once before when it came out in 2010. So now looking back, that was six years ago. And I remember having a very emotional and visceral reaction to it because it took me by surprise. And it was one of those little indie gems that had caught the attention of the mainstream. Uh, and it was a Ryan Gosling movie. So I figured, why not? And I, I ended up really liking it. So I wanted to watch it again as an adult with a little bit more perspective. And I'm glad that I did because it was a different experience the second time around. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to get into that in just a minute. But first, we have some trivia. It's a couple episodes since we've done this. And um, I think it's pretty fun. So we're going to do it. So let's see how this is going to work. I have three. Do you have three, Ben? If I can remember them. I'm ready, Ben. I'm ready. So this one, this would just be whoever gets closest to the number, but how many days did it take Paul Schrader to write the screenplay for Taxi Driver? Not the Taxi Driver from the 50s one, Ooh. Robert De Niro, Scorsese, yeah, that one. Taxi? We're talking with Taxi? We're talking about Taxi with Jimmy Fallon, right? Uh, yeah, uh, and Queen Latifah. I don't think anyone really wrote that screenplay so much as it just happened. Yeah, and they just said, Action! This is a total shot in the dark. All right. It's a very long answer. All right. The answer was five days. Wow, that's pretty impressive still. I said 10 days. What'd you say? I said less than 24 hours. So how would we... <laughs> <laughs> that's almost... So I said A, Anna said C, and the answer was B. I'm so... like literally right in the middle. We can go by prices right rules. I'll secede from this. I'll be the bigger man. No, you you bet one dollar, Bob. I would be over, I so did, I would lose. I did. I did kind of bet. I did kind of do the one dollar, Bob. Yeah, of course you did one dollar, Bob. All right, five days. That's very impressive. Yeah. 
Apparently, he had a loaded gun on his desk to inspire him to write it in five days. Like, I don't really know what kind of inspiration that is, but I guess if you think about the movie, all right. Yeah, I was going to say that's Sure, why not? Yeah, whenever I hear somebody tell a story about writing a screenplay, I always just imagine that it looks like the hotel lobby from The Shining when he's got the cigarette and the typewriter. It just always looks like that in my mind. I'm pretty sure that's accurate. This one was very interesting. Name the first Quentin Tarantino film that used the F-bomb less than 100 times. Is there only one? The first it's the one. first one. Okay. Can we just guess out loud? Do we have to write it down? No, we, yeah, we can just guess out loud. Um, I'm going to guess Kill Bill. I'm going to say Jackie Brown. Who's Kill Bill? Hey, yes. all right. I don't uh, remember a ton of profanity in that movie. I believe the figure was 17. 17 times. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That's impressive for Tarantino. Ooh, he good... really held back. He really did. That's he about how many I use in a half of my day. <laughs> so you want to go next with yours? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, mine's kind of topical uh, on our movie for the evening, Blue Valentine. So the name Blue Valentine comes from the Tom Waits song. And Tom Waits is kind of a renaissance man in the entertainment industry, probably known best for his music, but he's been in a bunch of movies. But Tom Waits was nominated for an Oscar, but for what movie? (laughs) This is really hard. So if either of you get this, I'm going to be really impressed. I'm going to say Fisher King. I have no idea. Pirates of Penzance. (laughs) Uh, He was nominated but did not win for Best Music, Original Song, or Score for One from the Heart, a Francis Ford Coppola movie from 1981. Wow. Mm -hmm. He still looked relatively normal then. Yes. He was not quite as uh, leathery. Speed bumpy? Yes. Interesting. So, there is a Guinness record for the most movies watched in a row in one sitting... Without leaving the seat, there are 15-minute breaks, but they have to stay in the seat. So, the winner uh, last year was a woman named Claudia Wavra from Ravensburg, Germany. And she holds the current world record for nonstop movies watched in a row. How many movies is that? 200. 14. 56. Oh, my God. That sounds... Awesome. Can you sleep through the movies? Or yeah, so she, she spent most of her breaks uh, on power naps and heavy metal music and uh, intense meditation. <sighs> I wonder what 56 movies she watched. Maybe she just went through like a really severe breakup and somebody asked her about it and she's like, yeah, I was going for the world record. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. All right. You it's got like a college one? student on winter break. Yeah. Or it's like us every winter. Yeah, pretty most, much. Most people in this area. Nah, we break for snacks. Okay. Uh, my second one is also topical. Uh, this one's about the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, something we are familiar with. Uh, so the MPAA has had has been around since 1968 when it replaced the old rating system and has been what we've used to rate our movies ever since. It's undergone some changes over the years, most notably two when they introduced PG-13 to the mix for that segue from PG into R. And then they also replaced the original X rating with NC-17. In what year did they replace the X rating with NC-17? Hmm. I don't even know if I can think of an X-rated movie. I'll just go with 1995 because I really don't know. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know Stallone was in a porn? That was his first one, a hardcore porn, called The Italian Stallion. 
That one was rated X. I think that's the only one I know. I'm going to say 1984. Well, you're both pretty close. It's 1990. Wow. What was it? It was, uh, the The first first movie was Henry and June uh, that got the NC-17 rating. But they did this in response to uh, movies, directors, and producers were complaining about X rating being so closely connected to pornographic films. Mm -hmm. And there were movies who were really pushing the envelope, that were pushing the envelope with violence and language and things of not of a sexual nature. So in response to that, they created the NC-17 rating. It's kind of the umbrella for everything that children should not be admitted into. Yeah, absolutely no one admitted under 17. Yes. Yeah, I wish that we would have ended with that question because that's what I want to talk about because I think it's really fascinating that that rating even exists because it, for all intents and purposes, it should just be called Recut the Movie because very few directors are willing to just say, yep, that's fine, we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah. But anyway, all right, so this is a round that I call Same Name, Different Money. So I'm going to name two actors, and the first one to shout out which one has a higher net worth. Oh, I'm good at these. Yeah, okay. Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. You think Tom Cruise? Um, No, I'm going to say Tom Hanks. Let's play the devil's advocate. It's fairly close. The right answer is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise pulls in with five hundred million, and Tom Hanks is at three hundred and fifty million. Toy Story didn't pay that good. A much nicer man. Yes, I pretend in my head. Who would you rather be in an elevator with? Uh, I don't know. I feel like even if it was the nicer of the two, I wouldn't be very likely to be the guy that's like, "Oh my god, I love you so much." You know, but like trapped in an elevator for like twelve hours. Who would you rather be in there with? I think Tom Cruise would make a better story. Tom Cruise, because I think Tom Hanks would just be like He'd almost be a normal, normal guy. He'd just be like, "So, do you like eggs? I like to eat eggs too." We're like, he'd want to talk about typewriters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ten hours. He's like, "I think it's really refreshing. You don't ask for my autograph." And with Tom Cruise, I'd be like, "So, what do you think about what do you think about medication and and Susan?" Um, what was that woman? Susan B. Anthony? No, but close. The Susan that he got in a, like a verbal f- uh, fight with in the nineties, in the late nineties, about the uh, Brooke Shields. Oh. <laughs> well, plus two years. Oh them. yeah, but, but my my friend Susan, you AKA guys, Brooke Shields. You guys were no help there. <laughs> well, plus he left the um, the Church of Scientology, so there's that. That'd he be left? really interesting. Yeah. What is that a recent thing? I'm pretty sure he did. I, I, I think, think I he thought he was still a Scientologist. Yeah, I didn't, that's cool, though. Oh, I think he rebelled against the church. To talk about in the elevator. That would be a lot. You could talk about a lot. All right, so here's our second set. This was females: Jennifer Lopez and Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I'd say Jennifer Lopez. I was pretty surprised by this because Aniston has those uh, Emirates Airlines, whatever. Jennifer Lopez by twice. She comes in at three hundred million, and Jennifer Aniston is at one hundred and fifty million. Jennifer Lopez, folk kids. Plus, she has more revenue streams because if you think about, um, she does still have whatever royalties you get for recording music these days, and movies, and uh, I don't American know, is Idol. She, is she was she a judge? Because yeah. the last season was the most recent one, right? But she still has that don't paycheck like coming in know, too. Man. Listen, no I didn't play. watch every episode, okay? She's got me. fragrances, which are very lucrative. Mm-hmm. Doesn't cost a lot to make them, and they make a ton of money off of them. So, 
fragrances. Anybody who's got a line of fragrances is doing pretty well for themselves. And Jennifer Aniston, is she She's in choosy. much of anything? No, she anymore? picks and chooses. She, she doesn't really have to be relevant. Writing She's that living off money. those friends syndicated, yeah, syndicated friends royalties. Oh, man. For the, for the Toms, I was going <laughs> to add Tom Hiddleston on there. Uh, what do you think his net worth is? Not that much. Because he hasn't been around for that long. That's true. But what he has been around for? Maybe $75 million, $100 million? Is this million? Oh, is this what a loser! He's got eight million. What annually or this? Is this, this net is worth? the most recent net worth? Oh, I got gotcha. you. Well, somebody well. needs to do some more Avengers movies. That's what the world keeps wanting. He was supposed to be in. Um, I think he was supposed to be in Avengers: Age of Ultron, but they ended up cutting the scene. If I remember correctly, yeah, because he's still around. The end of the Thor movie, the second Thor movie. Plus, let he's us know a... he's still around. What he's doing right now is is probably a good idea for his longevity because it's not like he's just going out and doing every big movie he can. Like he did Crimson Peak, which wasn't a small movie by any means. But if you think about Tom Hiddleston and his roles, he doesn't want to just be, okay, I'm the guy in every single blockbuster. He's seen like, okay, Will Smith did that to death. Um, I think that kind of hurt Matthew McConaughey when he was throwing himself into everything like crappy romantic comedy. So he had to have a little bit yeah, of a career Yeah, he did like five forgettable movies in a row. Yeah. yeah. So I think I, I feel like he was still finding his his niche too. Yeah, because he's a lot more respected now. Even before True Detective, I th- I think he was kind of taken more seriously because he had those couple like gritty indie films that like Mud and Dallas um, Buyers Club. Yeah, exactly. Magic Mike. See a lot of lawbreakers out <laughs> in the crowds tonight. So uh, yeah, so we're talking about Blue Valentine, and I I liked it. I. I'd heard about the ratings controversy, and I know Anna can can add to this too, but it was a endeavor over the period of like 12 years, this guy who was trying to get it directed. Nobody wanted to finance it. Nobody was wanted to finance it. was the concern at first. It. Yeah. So I think uh, it, it was a labor of love for the guy in a very personal, I can't say his last name. His name, first name is Derek, and he had the script written for a long time, and had a lot of actors and actresses lined up for the the lead two roles because there's really only two major roles in this movie and just had a hard time getting it produced and and funded. So it took some time, but he finally got there and uh, the ratings controversy. Also, it, it ended up being a, a blessing for them because Harvey Weinstein picked up the film uh, for distribution. So, you know, when you got a Weinstein back in your project, you have pretty much all the resources that you need to do anything at that point. Um, so we can talk about the the ratings thing. This movie is rated R. It did get a theatrical release of an R. Um, but it was initially on its first screening with the MPAA given NC-17 uh, for sexual content. So that was a huge blow to the director. And I was reading... a an article um, back from 2010 when they talked about it and they were really upset about it initially, the director and a couple of the producers, because they felt that it was very unfair. And the, when the internet picked up on this and, you know, the media, they called for that. It was a a major double standard in Hollywood for uh, this movie to get an NC 17 when there are lots and lots of movies with very explicit scenes of a sexual nature that get rated R and they, the reason they called it a double standard is there, uh, there's a lot of female sexuality portrayed in this movie, acts that involve a female, not like girl on girl, so to speak, but 
intimate moments. This whole movie is kind of an intimate experience. It's, it's told through the almost through the eyes of the characters, very close shots and very close camera work. So for that movie to get an NC-17 rating pretty much just for that scene, because there's no actual, well, there's a little bit of nudity, but uh, um, yeah, Harvey Weinstein was like, oh, don't worry, we got this. And he mm-hmm. went in and appealed to the MPAA and eventually had the ruling overturned. So uh, that really gave it a lot of publicity, which I think is why for this kind of little random independent movie that it ended up getting a lot of press and a lot of media and a lot of uh, speculation about it. So that's probably why it did so well uh, mm-hmm. for its budget and why Michelle Williams got an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah, I feel like it'd be really tough to not compromise on a scene like that because the shower scene was pretty graphic, too. When they were in space motel, but the whole movie in general was incredibly uncomfortable to watch. I imagine it would have been a hard movie to market too, because it's not your typical um, date night, sweet, wrapped up, pretty packaged couple movie. But so they have this scene on the couch that's very, or on the bed that's very obviously the scene that everybody must be talking about. And I think that it would be hard for a film like this to gain the steam that it did and not be. Uh, kind of pigeonholed as this novelty like oh let's watch this movie it's got that one scene in it kind of like black swan did yeah like black it... swan got pigeonholed for the scene between mila kunis and natalie portman but they got an r right away mm-hmm. but there that i would argue that that scene feels more pornographic in nature than the scene from blue valentine oh, i think it does too and i think that going so so out of chronological order for the entire movie uh definitely has an effect on the character's likability and um i feel i feel as though the 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 descent they're trying to make it really organic and just show how sometimes couples just they can't make it work and there was not anything that per se either one of them did wrong they just don't have it anymore i feel like that's what they were going for but it seemed like they used alcohol as like a really obvious all right, you're a raging alcoholic. That's kind of the clear-cut reason that you guys aren't together anymore. You know, like there was a couple pivotal scenes that were like, uh, well, here's here's my thing, and this is the reason why I really didn't like the film. And I'm okay with a structure that's non-linear. I actually looked at Wikipedia out of curiosity and looked through the list of movies. It's like, oh, I like this, 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 and this. You know, like The Prestige, obviously Memento. I love that movie. Um, I think the problem was that they didn't, flesh out Cindy enough it seems like she is going through all these things and you never get her perspective quite like you get Dean's because the movie seems to reflect him more than her most of the time and I was disappointed by that because the thing I thought of today is the movie's like a sandwich it flips back and forth between the past and then the present, so it's like you have two pieces of bread. There's just like nothing to hold it together. But what happened in the middle? But yeah, the mustard. I think, and I actually agree with you, Jimmy, on the what they were trying to show is that you know a lot of times in a relationship things do start. I mean, the start of the relationship was still a little bit tumultuous because mm. you have okay, they're in. It was New York, correct? That's what yeah. I what I gathered. They're Pennsylvania, like, New York, like Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Northeast, and um, Dean 
is a mover and he's just trying to make his way in life. He meets Cindy and she's pregnant with another man's child. And there's a point in the film where she's not 100% sure whose it is, but then she says, Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely not yours. So, um, there are some scenes like an abortion scene that are difficult, but I think if they'd be more effective, if they showed Cindy's perspective, just a little bit more or a lot more, I was just always curious what she was thinking because it's like, okay, I understand when you're getting more toward the present that Dean probably drinks a lot by what she's saying, but then you see everything else he does. It's just like, okay, he drinks, he may drink a lot, but then he's caring for this child. He's trying to help you. I mean, the only thing I really saw that if it was something that happened for a time, like the way he twists things on her and the conversation when they're eating in the future room, it was the same thing he did when um, he approached her on the bus, like in the past, you know, just trying to almost manipulate her. Yeah, that's really interesting because that was a completely legitimate, fair question to ask him. Something like, what do you want to do? You know, yeah. what else do you want to do? And he completely flipped the tables on her. That well, didn't even make sense. It wasn't even... I would disagree about the statement that he's an alcoholic. I mean, clearly he's he drinks too much. Uh, you know, she makes the comment about drinking, going to a job where you drink at 8 in the morning. Um, but I, the alcohol doesn't seem to be the reason for the dissolution of their marriage. And I don't really think they allude to that either. I think, <clears throat> I think what the director was trying to show us is that Sometimes relationships fall apart and this is what it looks like when it starts and this is what it looks like when it ends. So he's trying to show you, you know, on the parallel, maybe the part in the middle isn't the part that we really need to see that, you know, the beginning and the end are the, are the parts that they're trying to, to kind of study. This film felt like a study in a lot of ways of a couple of a very specific couple. But I think a lot of people who've been through a breakup can relate to um, that feeling when you just kind of, have started to grow apart from the other person and maybe your wants and your needs have changed and they've changed and you're just no longer aligned. And that seems to be the case with Cindy and Dean because Cindy is career driven. You know, she wanted to be a doctor before and she ended up a nurse and there's an opportunity at work for her. It sounds like, but Dean is really happy with what they have and doesn't really want anything to change. doesn't really, he's not a really an ambitious person and she seems like she is more so it just, their road started to split and that's just kind of how it worked out for them. And it's, you know, you think about, <clears throat> you know, they had the child that they raised together and how different would that have looked if they didn't, you know, would they have lasted the six years that they did if they didn't have a little girl that they were caring for or would it have been one of those things where two years down the line she was in med school and he was still an aimless mover who showed no interest in being anything but that and she would get tired of it and then that would be it it was i thought it was a really it was like a case study almost mm -hmm. and i think it felt like a case study because the director made them live together while they filmed yeah. it ryan gosling and michelle williams and the little girl all lived together in the house for 30 days on like a working class budget too so they had a 200 dollars for two week but 200 dollars for food for two weeks uh, they had to live in the same rooms. They had to share a bathroom. They had to clean up after themselves and really like live as a family unit to get that sense of realness. And I think with this part of maybe this movie's fault is that it's kind of boring and it could definitely be construed. I could totally see why people were like, well, that was really boring. Like I can see why they like, okay, whatever. But at least this movie felt really honest and it was really, really well acted. So if anything, it has that saving grace. You know, it's, it's not... Uh, 
it's not very exciting, but it at least feels like this movie is it's a very emotional movie and it is kind of uncomfortable to watch. I felt like while I was watching it that I was bouncing around in the memories of people that I didn't know very well and they felt like very authentic people. That's one thing that I, I sent a message to Jimmy after I watched the movie that the acting was great, but I didn't really like much else about the movie, if anything, at all. Because at the 45-minute point, I was thinking to myself, where is this going? And I don't necessarily need a, a story that has an absolute resolution. I think probably the movie's biggest flaw isn't necessarily the the structure where it jumps between the past and the present, but the fact that you know you spend two hours with these people, and a lot of times it's just kind of nothing happening i bet if they had cut maybe 20 or 30 minutes it would make a lot more sense to your average viewer which wasn't what they were going for anyway but even for you know someone who watched a lot of stuff that's really out there i was kind of sitting through it and just saying okay i'm in for this because i have to talk about this yeah for this show and wow do you, do you typically watch the trailers or read much about them but for the movies that you haven't seen? Uh, sometimes I'll... Usually I don't read about them beforehand. I'll just watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Unless it's one that I'm going to go see in theaters. Sometimes that's the way to go. I feel like most of the time that's the way to go. And I, I, I totally agree that this movie has a, a startlingly slow pace. But I know for... You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago when when we were discussing our other hipster indie film, They Look Like People, where it had great camera work and it had really interesting perspectives that kind of told a different story. Not everybody cares about that. And I might like The Blair Witch Project for a whole host of reasons, and I love this convention, but some people don't like that. And I think that there was probably a lot of people that not only was, not only did they not like the movie, but it was not the movie they thought they were signing on for. And I watched the trailer. I kind of had a little bit of uh, insight into this movie a bit. And so I wasn't, like, shocked. Um, I did like the movie. But, yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from with the pace this, of this movie. This kind of movie is, like, right up my alley. I like a lot of long, boring movies. That... It's, a, it's a raw film to watch. It's, it's very, very difficult. Raw. It's the, the scene on the bed <clears throat> with the when Ryan Gosling is performing oral sex on Michelle Williams. Honestly, I was a bit disappointed with how... I mean, I don't know what I was expecting, but I knew that this movie got an NC-17 rating just for this scene. And it, it doesn't show the inside of her vagina. It just it shows his head between her legs, and she's wearing a skirt. And what a double standard, right? Like, I know. how many movies have we seen where women have given blowjobs or been in some sort of sexual act, even like where the woman doesn't have consent? You know, you're watching like a rape scene mm-hmm. or something to that effect. And those all got our ratings. But you show a movie from a woman's pers- like sexuality from a woman's perspective, where a woman's receiving pleasure. And where it's a very intimate scene, it's not really pornographic at all, like you were saying. It's it's like it's very soft core. It's very HBO After Dark, and it's still somehow they got an NC seventeen rating, which led me to researching the MPAA because I knew I, I had an idea of how the process worked, and it's 
every time you submit a movie, which can cost up to $25,000 for the record, twenty five grand every time you submit a film. So if you like petition and resubmit it, you have to pay that again. And that's for like the big motion pictures, like mm-hmm. a movie like this. So for something that has a small budget, that's kind of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's tiered down from there. So I, I knew it was a board of people that decided and that you would get a different board each time that you submitted a movie. But I didn't realize it was a board of, this is the qualification, being a parent. That is the qualification mm-hmm. to be on the MPAA is to be a parent. It's not to wow. be like an active filmmaker. It's not to be any kind of like arts professor or anything like that. You just literally have to be a parent. And because this whole thing was designed for like the intention of won't somebody think of the children. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, you get the idea that like, I, I guess I never really thought about it from that perspective that like G is for general audiences. PG is, you know, you get the idea of what kids should and shouldn't watch, but the MPAA literally exists for the sake of what children should or should not watch. So How many people are on the on the board, you know? It's, you read? it's a revolving door of parents. Mm-hmm. So I imagine you can apply or maybe you're chosen to be someone who watches it. And it probably all takes place in California where, you know, the movie business is kind of rooted. But, uh, yeah, that's your qualification to be on the MPAA is you have to be a parent. So I wonder if maybe that kind of skewed people's... Uh, perception of that scene and of this movie because and then they but then you know you think of like of black swan which came out might have been this no it was later than that it was later than this movie i think black swan came out in 2012 but uh yeah you got got a pretty raunchy scene in that movie and um some serious over the leotard action and uh that got an girl so it's okay yeah but it was two cute girls and they were drunk so that's all right I've never really thought about the fairness. Uh, Black Swan was also 2010. Oh, okay. Well, that's a surprise. Maybe that was why that was a little bit more relevant to that article I was reading. But I've never really uh, vocally voiced my concern or uh, idea of a movie being rated unfairly. I don't. I feel like I don't really encounter it very much. Or I watch a movie and I think on either end of the spectrum, this could have been rate, rated PG-13. Or usually, it's this movie would have been a lot. Uh, better for my standards if it would have been R. I don't know. The movies that do get prettied up and slapped with a PG-13 rating, usually you can figure out why, you know? But um... Shoot, when I watch some of those animated movies, like the Shrek movies, and you, as an adult, like as an adult adult, not like a teenager that I was when they first came out, I'm like, wow, there's some jokes and references that they're cuss words definitely there's a couple of cuss words but there are jokes and references in a lot of animated movies that fly over children's heads but as an adult you're like oh i see what you did that's funny mm-hmm. and people always use the uh classic example of boobs in the movie airplane when it was rated pg and like jaws and poltergeist are rated pg but there's... Ooh, Jaws is rated PG. Mm-hmm. But that was in that was before the PG thirteen. So it was either PG or R, and it was probably PG because Steven Spielberg's got money. Well, then connections in the right place. Is places. this supposed to turn into a rant about America going soft? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And trailers are ruining everything. Pretty much. Uh, no, but back to Blue Valentine. Uh, I think definitely unanimously this movie across the board is the best because of the performances of from Ryan and yeah, Michelle. And honestly, before this movie, I thought Michelle Williams was pretty forgettable as an actress. Like I didn't, you know, she was just another blonde and in a sea of faces that she didn't really seem to stand out. I would get her and Naomi Watts confused a lot. Um, but she 
really turned it out for this movie. And I found myself like really not necessarily connecting with her, but really empathizing for her because her situation really sucked and she had a bright future ahead of her and her ex-boyfriend was kind of an abusive jerk. And then the scene in the in the doctor's office with the abortion, uh, I think was a really honest look at what that would feel like. And you can kind of see on literally on her face what is going through her head every step of the way. And I think that's why they made that scene as long as they did, because they could have a lot of movies tend to cop out when they when that subject is mentioned and they just like she goes to the doctor's office and then she leaves. They don't mm-hmm. show you anything that happens in the actual room itself. And maybe that's a fear of being too taboo or offending too many people because it's such a hot topic. But to show the woman on, you know, laying on on the bed and, you know, her feet in this in the stirrups and about to go through with this big decision in her life and to show, you know, her emotional process and what she's going through. And then the moment when she changes her mind and, you know, the reaction of the nurses and the doctors, just how invasive that procedure is. And Michelle Williams, the whole time, just look, it was, I believed her 110%. Yeah. Which is great. And I imagine really hard because that's, you know, that's a really difficult uh, situation to imagine yourself in and to, to, to act like you're in it. Uh, so I'm really glad that they left that because I think that I think that added to the movie and it added to the realness of the movie as well. Yeah, I think that that was part of his intention to be able to like I know watching that scene, I love horror movies and I'm not a gore hound per se, but gore doesn't really bother me. I'm kind of desensitized to it. So I can watch the most ridiculous like Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. But I'm watching this scene and I'm like, no, cut the scene. I can't take it. It's too uncomfortable. It's like, well, this is uh, something that actual women go through on a regular basis. Well, hopefully not that regular basis, but it was. It was, like, really uncomfortable to watch. And every time that he held a kid with a cigarette, it was very uncomfortable to watch. And I appreciated the uh, not having to spoon feed the story to the audience when they open up the film. And he's just couldn't be more relaxed. And she's always rushing around the house. The whole movie, she's just like rushing around the house, picking up everybody's clothes. And he's he's eating raisins on the table with his little girl. And she's, you know, talking about, well, now I got to clean that up again. So I get I got the feeling right away that he's got a special bond with his girl. He's a very frustrating person to live with. She kind of resents him because she has this obvious, um, not favoritism towards Ryan she has to be the bad cop yeah she has to be bad cop because ryan gosling and little frankie are like the same age in a lot of scenes so i thought that was interesting sheldon's eating the answers from our trivia i'll show you an answer so i meant to to ask you i meant to ask you too anna i was going to turn this into a um a trivia game but so i'm going to take you to the movies but we have to see one of these movies Oh, gosh. And this is what's currently available. Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart and The Rock, Warcraft. Now You See Me, the second act. I still don't know why they didn't call that Now You Don't. That drives me crazy. That's um, just why I won't drop it. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows. I can tell you no to that one. That's a hard no. Uh, There's only a 920. I don't know if we'll be able to make that one. Um, There's also like one showing of all of those movies. What's it going to be? 
I would choose uh, Now You Don't or Now You See Me Too because of Daniel Radcliffe. You said Now You Don't. I like it. That's in my head. That's the title of that movie. But uh, my options really suck and I would rather stay home. Yeah. Can we stay home and watch Peaky Blinders? Yes. Peaky Blinders. I haven't even watched it, but I I, uh, saw that show on Netflix and that's all I could think of. Was somebody saying Peaky Blinders? Yeah, they say it every episode. Yeah, they say it like ten times every episode. You remember A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger? Yeah. Well, you know how they had really inappropriate music set to that, like Queen. Yeah, it's the same with Peaky Blinders. It's... But it it makes a lot more sense in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, they're not like more... dancing to it at the ball like they did yeah, in Knight's like, Tale. It's like symbolically placed. Which, speaking of Heath Ledger, this was really interesting too because 2010. Michelle Williams has two kids with him. One. One kid. And this was like six months after. One child he... named Matilda. Thank you. You're welcome. This was like six months after he killed himself or accidentally overdosed. overdosed. Allegedly, he Watch accidentally yourself. overdosed. That's the edit we're going You're with. playing the worst game of telephone right now. You just said that Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams had two children and he killed himself. When in reality, they have <laughs> one child and he died of an OD. Yeah. That's... So it was the child who killed him. So there was no kid. So... And I'm talking about Jim Carrey. I'm so talking about Jim Carrey is... and Carmen Alexa. So the... And now he's a Scientologist. So the movie yeah. that we're reviewing is number 23. Actually, we're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and you've been Ooh. duped the whole time. Oh... Or what if it was? Yeah, actually, like, we've been talking about blue velvet, so jokes on you. No, that's what I was gonna say. It's <laughs> just like, what if Jimmy sent me the text and? So this movie, uh, the end. I I really liked. Well, I, what I thought was really interesting about this director, I never really gave much thought to directors' methods until, uh, really, you guys started doing this podcast. Because I, you know, if it's a movie that I've watched or I'll, I've, I've just maybe in the last few years. Uh, directors all have different ways of getting their actors to do the things that they want them to do. And I guess I just kind of assumed that it was like a, almost like a stage director, just like do it like this and that's how you do it. No, it turns out there's a lot of different strategies that they use and ways that they get these people to interact with each other so that it looks honest and real on screen. I feel like I've used the word honest too many times. I'm going to come up with a different word. We're in the land of Lincoln. Yes, we are on it. Good old honest Abe. Yep. Uh, so he, he, the director had them all live together as a family unit. And then in order to create real tension, he had Ryan Gosling kind of mess with Michelle Williams a little bit. So he, before they would film these scenes where they would argue, the director would give them both notes separately in order to get them to antagonize each other. So we would tell them, you know, this is what this person is doing. This is how your character feels. You would tell the other person something completely different. So we'd come into this argument with two completely different perspectives so that they would actually be kind of irritated with each other. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to, they're like, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. Or, you know, I deserve this. I deserve that, blah, blah, blah. And so it, I think that's why it looks so real and why their performances are so great. And I think you can really, really see that at the end of the movie and their final argument where she tells him that she wants a divorce and he gave Ryan Gosling notes that when they're arguing to always try and touch her, try and try and hold her, try and touch her, try and tell her that you love her. Don't let her, you know, your, your character wants to touch and feel that's how they communicate emotion. And he would give Michelle Williams these notes to, you know, walk away, try to leave the room. So con- he's constantly trying to block her, trying to block her in, trying to, he uses physical expressions a lot. You know, Ryan Gosling's character, Dean throws stuff. He hits things. He tries to hold her and grab her and she just pushes away 
And I think that made it look uh, incredibly real. And I really appreciate the director more after having read these things about the movie because all of those things that he had them do gave them such incredible performances. And I, you know, this movie that was just really so realistic and so like hyper real for the very end to just be a couple walking away from each other while the fireworks explode mm-hmm. felt like it was just a really perfect end to this movie. Yeah, it was like the only convincing true to life end that they could have had. Yeah. And I really like the scenes that take place in the present with Ryan Gosling because he has these ridiculous porn star Elvis sunglasses that he puts on throughout the whole movie that's on, he he wears them so much that you're like, "Okay, this must be his little like defense mechanism or coping mechanism whatever." And you really come to dislike him at the end because of a couple crucial scenes but as a character he doesn't really evolve either for the positive or the negative the whole movie like even at the very end when he's drunk at the hospital he's still the same old goofy like happy-go-lucky completely aimless guy that he was at the beginning he just kind of has a little bit of a drinking problem which is might also be a defense mechanism or whatever but yeah she's like gone through all of these changes and frankie's however old and Ryan Gosling just hasn't really changed at all. Except for his hairline. Yeah, which was his also hair great. Was disturbing. I almost felt like uh, I'd like to see a version of this film that's recut because I almost feel like this movie could begin with the ending. And that may not make a whole lot of sense unless you rearrange a couple of the events. But I almost wondered, because I, I mentioned Memento before, if this could be one of those films that works its way backward. Because I know one of the really effective parts was the juxtaposition of their marriage where Ryan Gosling's character, Dean, is wearing that super sweet blue tux. And then what could be like the the final event of the dissolution of their marriage, that was done well. It's just that in-between part where um, I, I think you nailed it, Jimmy, where Dean's character doesn't really evolve. But at the same time, Cindy does go through changes, but because you don't really see a lot from her perspective. You don't really know why. Um, I left this film kind of thinking if I could, if I could, I even just describe these characters who they are and what matters to them. I might be able to a little bit. Yeah. I was kind of like, I don't really know them and I just spent two hours with them. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely with Cindy. I would agree with that. You don't really know. She's like a big mystery. Yeah. I would have liked to see. So we didn't really talk about Frankie's real dad at all. What was his name? The guy from college. Oh, I don't remember. remember? The wrestler. Yeah. The wrestler. I'm not even going to look it up. He was such a, uh, such a douchebag. I'm not even going to look up. And him randomly showing up at the liquor store was a little uh, plot devicey. I think it would have been interesting. So when Ryan and Michelle William meet, she's already like 12 weeks pregnant. Um, and it's definitely not Ryan Gosling's kid. And she meets Frankie's dad, uh, and you're not really told who this character is. Um, and you don't really even start to put it together until later. But this, re- yeah, so he's a wrestler in college and just beats the hell out of Ryan Gosling. And so you know right away, like, okay, well, you're a bad person. He, sh- She shouldn't be with you. But I think it would have been interesting if they would have developed him into a character that kind of got you thinking like what if you would have stayed with him what if you add a little bit of complexity to the story because they you know michelle williams can either have this you know uh, alpha male douchebag macho machismo or ryan gosling and it's like well i guess i'd go with ryan gosling too well that's the thing though you don't really know if 
her ex-boyfriend is as terrible as you might think he is because I know he does have that explosion where, you know, it's at the house and she's willing what it's her grandmother into the house and he has the flowers and he's like, oh, just talk to me. But then he explodes and calls, okay, she probably is making, you know, the right choice. Yeah. Well, and he left her all those threatening voicemails and he like got her pregnant. Well, uh, and when she sees him too at the store and he's like, yeah, you married? Cool. Are you faithful to him? Like, that's a red flag, I would think, in my mind. But, yeah, I think it would have been interesting. I see interesting. him as an all-around jerk. Yeah, if he would have added that kind of inner uh, inner complexity to Michelle Williams, it's like, I, I should have been with Ron. He's, he looks like a Ron or a Chad, instead of Ryan Gosling, but she made the choice he that probably does CrossFit. He probably does do CrossFit. Yeah, I'm sure he does. He's a CrossFitter. He's probably, what you don't see in the film is that... Uh, Toward the present, he's actually wearing toe shoes as well. Oh, in he would scene. wear those. <laughs> and he's a and cargo shorts. In cargo shorts. He's he's a he's a body trainer at the gym and definitely sleeps with his clients. All of them, even the men. Yeah, because he's probably insecure it. about his sexuality. He doesn't know. No, he doesn't. Know. He'll never know. He'll never know because he was just acting for a movie, and none of this is real. Or is it? It's real to me. Yeah. So, yeah, even the, the fight scene was was difficult to watch. So they did a lot of handheld action in this movie. There wasn't a lot of um, traditional conventions that are used in these type of romantic dramas. Uh, and a lot of times it doesn't work. It worked with this, but I think it was a little bit too much. I think when the whole movie is handheld, by, like, minute 40... It doesn't have that really ultra intimate, like first person perspective view that it did in the beginning because I'm kind of desensitized to it. Like so, with the minor shakiness is one of the main giveaways for that. And some yeah. scenes where it's uh, okay, it's like we're going left to right. Oh, there's a minor shake. It's not as bad as, let's say, Total Recall and Lens Flares, but yeah. sometimes it is a little bit distracting when they start a scene and it's like an extreme close up of someone. Mm-hmm. And. You're kind of wondering what's going on, but it wasn't as terrible as some of the the, tra- the detractors online make it seem. Like that was one of the biggest things I saw with people who didn't like the movie. They complained about the camera work, but I think it almost had to have some kind of almost uh, pseudo documentary feel. Home to Home video it. kind of feel in a yeah, way. Cause yeah, because if it was super I polished, it. I think that would kind of separate you from the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. Would, it would ruin the integrity of the movie, I think. There were some reviews online that were hilariously hate- hateful, like comically hateful. And a lot of them just seemed to be based in the idea of, this movie's not what I, I was expecting. It made me uncomfortable. One star. So you kind of have to discount those people. Those are probably the same people who really hated Drive. Mm-hmm. They were like, this movie is boring. That was one of the trivia questions i was considering the director failed his driving test eight times yikes yeah so one of us <laughs> is gonna have to pronounce this last somebody's name. got some i'm not is it fian france 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 he loves ryan gosling either way because they're besties did, yeah he, they've got to be they yeah. he did that uh place beyond the pines which i never saw yeah but I would have liked to. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I'll say for Blue Valentine, too. I can actually see why some people would really like this and the way the story develops. Because sometimes, and maybe it is the mood I was in, too, because that plays a huge part 
I didn't really know what this movie was about. I didn't even know the running time until I opened the movie. I looked at IMDb to see who was in it, saw the director, wasn't familiar with him. So if you're not in the right mood for a, a slow burn kind of gradually developing Emo. movie when you might be in, I was probably more in the mood for like a horror film that was 70 minutes. Uh, oh, I'm not surprised. It's like the exact opposite, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so I can understand, too, why some people might like the fact that you don't get a whole lot of detail about the characters' lives. So it does feel really true to life. And what I was mentioning earlier, like you're almost in their memories. It's almost like a voyeuristic feel where you're just watching some scenes. You know, and they don't all necessarily have to connect because that's the way life is, where things don't necessarily make perfect sense so i can appreciate it for the fact that it went for that because very few films do most films are like here's the beginning here's the middle here's the end everything wrapped up neatly happy ending and everyone walks away holding hands Mm. so at the very least i can say even though i didn't enjoy watching this movie i can appreciate films that actually go for it because this one did yeah yeah and i i do think that especially at the end when they were intersplicing the two realities a lot closer to each other um, it definitely had an impact on the emotional magnitude of the ending when they were like showing them break up and then they show them on their wedding day and then they show them breaking up. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's, yeah. And I that feel makes like... me a lot sadder now when you put it in my face. Like this is that. a great movie for anybody who is just, who has just broken up with somebody, uh, because you're in that very tender, raw part of your life. And yeah. this movie is that. And, it's definitely a mood movie. You know, you can't just like sit down and turn it on absentmindedly because you will not have a great reaction to it. But if you're in the mood for something that kind of makes you think, makes you feel uh, with really great performances from two actors who really bring their A game in it, uh, this is a great movie for it. And I think if you just, it, it really, this movie just feels like a big, a big case study of, of human relationships and, and the birth and death of, of love. And so it makes it, um, very relatable because if nothing else, because we all know or have all been through a situation where what the characters are going through is something that maybe we can relate to, whether it's our own relationships or parents' relationships or friends or whatever. You look at it and you think, okay, yeah, I, I totally know what those characters, I know them. You know, I know, I know Cindy and Dean and I, I know, I, I totally know Cindy and Dean. Mm-hmm. At least I felt like I could relate to them in some way. So yeah, towards the end, I feel like the movie could have been called do it girl. You don't need him. Because that's kind of what I kept wanting to shout at the screen. The more frustrated I got at him, but he loves his little girl so much. You know, you and I like that they show you the the good and the bad side of the both of them. You know, we talked about Dean and how he's like a really loving, great father in that way, but he's also kind of a difficult person to live with, and he's ambitionless, and he's kind of aimless, and he drinks too much. And Cindy is very closed off, and she is very internalized, and she's a very high, strong person. She probably wasn't always that way. Uh, but she's also very dedicated and she loves her child and she's been through a lot, uh, blah, blah, blah. So you get to see the dichotomy of the, of the characters and they're not, they're not at all one dimensional, which is great because people struggle to do that. Right. Characters that are not flat level people. Yeah. You, you get the, you get the sense that he's this very definable free spirited personality that Ryan Gosling has is what attracted her to him in the first place. And that's exactly what she can't freaking stand anymore. 
and the reasons that she had for falling in love are the reasons that she like wants nothing to do with him anymore. Like at the end when she's like a tale as old as time. I have nothing left for you. No. This one can of SpaghettiOs. That's how it could have ended. Like he just makes her a sandwich. She's like, I forgot how good your sandwiches are. Now I love you again. (laughs) Yes, now I get it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't um, get back together. I'm glad there was no like redemption story there. And it would Blue be Valentine too. Yeah, it Ryan Gosling is a single man. It would have told. Oh my god! Yeah, it would be Drive. <gasps> oh my god! All right, next week we're doing Drive. Oh god! No, next week we're doing Hairspray. You mean Hairspray? Hairspray. Hairspray. I'm gonna try to watch. I already have my next choice lined up. Have you oh, seen? You do. Have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Yes. I'm becoming a huge fan of Nora Ephron. I'm like looking at her work. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I don't have too much else to say. I I liked it. I enjoyed this movie. We I told Anna right after the right after it was over that it was good. I enjoyed it. I appreciated it. But it's not really the kind of movie that you need to watch again. And I didn't find it depressing. A lot of people said it was really a depressing movie. I didn't find it depressing. I would I think that people are probably interchanging that word with difficult to watch. That's that's what I would describe this movie because I thought challenging. Challenging because I thought the ending was very appropriate and i did not want them to get together the whole like third act is showing you that these people they can't make it work at this point audience if you still want them to be together it's not realistic which is like what the whole movie is based around is this sense of of realism so i thought the ending was great no one got their arm cut off like in requiem for a dream oh my god you want to talk to me that's to me that movie is the definition of devastating and it's not just for shock value um i i saw the same thing jimmy like i was looking at the youtube comments because i just rented the the movie through youtube and people were like oh this movie it just you know just totally wrecked me and oh wow it's like devastating i thought to myself well maybe if you were if you can look at the movie and you were going through a situation that was just like that one. I can see that. But if you were just watching it and looking at what was happening to the characters at face value, yeah, I mean, it is sad at points. Uh, what happens to Cindy, you know, with the the possibility of the abortion and then what happens with her ex-boyfriend and all of that is, you know, sad. But we're talking about two people and them pretty much separating that's not the worst thing in the world and the sad part is that we're used to that happening in day-to-day life even when it's our parents or us being separated completely from someone else so like if you've gone through you're just like well sucks to be them but it may work out for the better that's the thing that people don't keep in mind it may actually work out for both of them yeah i think it would be way more depressing if two people decided like well we're both miserable together but we're even more miserable alone so let's just pretend like it that that would be more sad i think you just touched on the struggle of the modern american marriage yeah i'm afraid i did um but yeah i totally agree with you that if you are in the the, a certain headspace this movie is very devastating because i remember crying a lot the first time i watched this movie and i didn't cry this time and i looking back 2010 life big breakup yes cried a lot in this movie 
uh, probably found it a little too real for my uh, personal life, and uh, but really, still really liked it. But yeah, I, I mean, overall, I like this movie. I would recommend it to anybody who likes these types of movies. If you do not like these types of movies, the long ones, the slow burners, the not indies. A lot of humor. This is yeah. not a romantic comedy. This is not funny. Uh, Some <laughs> There is no comedy. Uh, there's some sexy scenes, but they're not like the kind that are meant to like get you sexied up too. They're like, it is very voyeuristic. Uh, but I would recommend it to people who like those types of movies because if you haven't seen it, it would be right up your alley. And it is a really beautiful film to watch. And it's got a great soundtrack by Grizzly Bear. Yeah. I think if you could steal a song from the future and apply it to a soundtrack, like the ending scene, A Daydreaming by Radiohead would have been perfect. I like your extra R's. Very appropriate. Per. Well, I was looking at George when I said it, so perfect. We have a beached whale of a cat I'm on the floor here. I'm just glad you didn't pee on the carpet. All right. Well, uh, I'll pick a more interest, exciting movie next time. No, that's okay. That was good. And if I feel uncomfortable during a movie, for the most part, I think that's a showcase of a director's talent. If they're able to evoke a certain emotion, like a certain real emotion, even if it's hatred, even if someone's like, I hated this movie. I would so much rather I have hear a lot that. of those moments. Good news, we're doing Old Boy next. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I would, if I was a director and I put out a product like this where you're like bracing yourself for all scales of feedback, I would so much rather somebody tell me for 20 minutes how they hate it and then be like, yeah, it was okay. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Like, that's useless. I can't do anything with that. But if I can make you hate a movie, you know, it's like when Game of Thrones, well, we'll just... Game of Thrones does a very good job at making you hate characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, George Martin called the kid who played King Joffrey and was like, congratulations, the world hates you. You've done a great job. But that's true. Well, if you want to hear a choice selection of our episodes, you can find our SoundCloud page through the Facebook. That is Movie Show Theater Facebook. Or go to the 90.7 Facebook page. We do this every Tuesday, and we think you should too. And you can email us any way that you find that you can through the Facebook. That was a nightmarishly worded sentence. Uh, you can Remix! Leave, you, can, you can leave a message. We want you to come do the podcast with us. That's leave a I'm message on my answering machine. Come, come talk with us about movies. Send a, send a telegram. Send a tweet. Towards me. Tweet on the kids tweeting on the tweeter. <laughs> so until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Ben Snowden. And I'm Anna Hooligan. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been listening to movie Show. theater. Should repeat